Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Church, this is one of my favorite weekends uh, here at Encounter at all of our locations. It is Baptism Weekend, and so Fulton Heights, uh, we're celebrating with you as you are also celebrating with Kentwood. We're one church, many locations, and Jesus is on the move this morning. As a reminder, if today is your day and you're sensing that spirit and and you might have some objections, we've got you covered, and we mean that very, very literally. T-shirts, shorts, uh, towels, everything that you need, there's no reason why this day can't be your day to show the world you've been raised with Christ. Uh, we're in a series right now, and this series is called, um, this series is called Why I'd Walk Away. And last week, we introduced the concept of the series to say, hey, listen, a lot of us have a friend, present company included. A lot of us ourselves might be on this journey of, uh, of taking a, a new look, a fresh look at a timeless faith, at the Christian faith. And, and like you've constructed this faith over years, you're now in this process of deconstructing the faith. And, and you're taking like a, a block out at a time and, and examining whether or not it still has structural integrity, uh, right? You're, you're taking a block of the faith out and you're going, do I still believe that Jesus died and came back from the dead? Uh, do I still believe that, that a virgin 2,000 years ago had a baby conceived of the Holy Spirit. Like these, are, these are wild claims, right? And last week we highlighted that Christian faith has some unsettling truths to come along with it. And when we saw this awesome question that Peter asked Jesus. Now, at the time, I think it was maybe a rhetorical question. We didn't take it that way. When, when things got weird in John chapter 6, following Jesus, and everybody turns and everybody walks, walks away and goes home, and Jesus looks at Peter and goes, do you want to leave too? And Peter is like, yeah, I kind of do. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't say that. No, what he said was this rhetorical question back to Jesus, and he said, where would I go, Jesus? If I left the faith, where would I go? And we kind of like looked at Christianity definitely has some unsettling truths, but also so too does giving up on Christianity. We looked at some of the implications of, of losing faith and what you're necessarily taking on by doing that. That was, that was part one. Uh, part two, we want to acknowledge maybe it is time to walk. Maybe it is time to bolt. Maybe it is time uh, to walk away. And to, put some, uh, to put some meat on it, to put some flesh on that, uh, I want to highlight that we walk away from things all the time, you know. Some of you have had an experience where you go out to eat and you showed up and even though it was like a normal time during a normal part of the day, normal restaurant, but you showed up and it was very, very clear that the, ser- the host didn't want to be there, the server didn't want to be there, and the cook prepared the meal as if it was the last thing standing between him and going home for the weekend, right? And it tasted like it. And you looked at that restaurant and you're going, I will never go back to Applebee's again. <laughs> I'm not sure why it has to be Applebee's, but those of you who know me, this is like, a, this is a recurring bit around here. You can't do artists in everything. It just doesn't work. But what, what you didn't do, you might have said, I'm never going to Applebee's again, or I'm never going to that restaurant again. What you probably didn't do is saying, I'm never going to go out to eat again. You know, I'm never going to trust another server again. I'm never going to go to a restaurant once in a while because I got burned by one. But we do that all the time, right? We do that with church. I was a part of a church one. That somebody at that church hurt me at one point, and so I'm giving up on the entire institution. Like, we do that. Why? Because oftentimes we make these decisions, we highlighted this a little bit last week, we make these decisions not because they're rational or logical, but we make these decisions because they're emotional decisions. And we're, emo- we're emotional people. Right? We don't give up on a sports team because they have a, a bad performance one weekend. Or maybe if you're a Lions fan, like the franchise history is just all together poor performance. Except for this year, baby! 
2003, 2023, 24, we're calling it the roar of 24. It's happening. Okay, get on board. This is the Lions season, right? But we don't give up on everything just because the team performed poorly one time. We, We hang with or we try something else. We adapt. Sometimes it is, it is time to walk away. I have walked away from a few things. I'm in an emotional place, I'm going to be honest with you this morning, because I got an email on Thursday, an email promo. That's not the surprising part. We all get those a lot of times. This one was from Great Clips. I'm calling them out. You're on notice, Great Clips. They sent me an email promo, and I've been going there a long, long time, up until recently, quit that place, because uh, the email promo and the, the immense amount of data that they have on me. They mined all of that to send me an email promo with the headline, Five Great Haircuts for Senior Men, (laughs) with a bunch of old people on the cover. And I was like, how could you do me like that, Greg Clips? And the worst part, there wasn't even a coupon attached to it. It was just throwing shade at me and moving on. So I've never unsubscribed faster in my life. Sometimes, the point is, sometimes it's time to walk away, right? Sometimes you got to know when to hold them, fold them, and just and get out of there for yourself. And that's what we're talking about today. Sometimes it's time to just walk away from faith. Because some of you have had this like experience, this is going to sound a little bit familiar, where maybe you grew up with the faith and you kind of just assumed that it was true, assumed that it was real your whole entire life. And then something happened. Maybe you moved away. You moved out of mom and dad's house and you moved into maybe a dorm or you moved out to college somewhere. Maybe you got an apartment or a house that you rented with a bunch of friends. You moved outside of mom and dad's umbrella and you started living and believing as if there was no God at all. And you started doing whatever you want, whenever you want, with whom you want, because you're now in charge of your life. And some of you have the experience where you're like, I kind of liked it. Like, that's good. That was fun. I had a good time with it. And so now you're like stepping further into that like world and life view and going, I got some questions for the faith that I grew up on. And what you're doing is you're asking your now adult-based questions on your childhood faith. And you're starting to find out that If that faith you had as a kid, it doesn't hold up. Not now. As you take the brick out and you toss it to the side and say it doesn't hold, it's it's no longer structurally true for me and for my life. Some of you, you didn't intend to go on this journey. It was thrust upon you. Because you have no intention of walking away from the faith or honestly even examining some of those building blocks to see if they were true. Until it happened. I don't know what your it is, but I know that you do. It is that moment when the floor beneath you just gives way and you've been in free fall ever since. It's a faith-shaking, defining moment. From now on, your life is going to be split between before and after it. How can I believe in a good God in light of it? you're asking adult-based questions on a childhood faith, and what you might find out is it just doesn't hold up. And maybe it's time that the faith that you had, and for some of you are going to realize today that the faith you have is a faith worth walking away from. Uh, Part two of why I'd walk away is maybe I should. 
Let me show you what I'm talking about. We're going to go into, uh, we're going to go into Scripture. We're going to go to uh, a passage in the New Testament called 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You can follow along on your, on your phone if you'd like, and the words are going to be on the screen behind me. Uh, 1 Corinthians is a, is a passage. It's actually a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. Remember, the Bible is a, it's a story, right? Uh, this part of the story is a letter that Paul wrote to a real people in a real place and a real time in history a couple thousand years ago and he writes to this new church in Corinth and these are the words that he says first Corinthians 3 starting off in verse 1 right off the it's in the beginning of the letter and he says brothers and sisters I could not address you as people who live by the spirit but as people who are still worldly mere infants in Christ okay so I want you I want you to pick up the little picture here mere infants in Christ is what he's calling them uh, he goes I I gave you milk not solid food because you weren't ready for it you were not ready for the solid food of the faith yet so what I did is I went ahead and I gave you milk during my time with you indeed you're still you're still not ready and before we kind of move on what I'd like to do for us is to highlight Paul knows something about these people who's writing this letter. The guy writing this letter, he started the church in Corinth. He knows them intimately. He watched as the church started growing. He watched as this thing gained momentum. He heard the stories about it, and then he heard that the story kind of took a turn, and that's why he's writing the letter. They've got some problems, and so he comes in. He goes, guys, 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 you didn't have like the whole thing. What I gave you, the representation I gave you of the faith was like milk. It wasn't food. It wasn't, it wasn't, a me- it wasn't intended to be your forever meal, and so in verses one and two, we have the principle in verses 3 and 4, we have the application of that principle. So we have the milk, solid food principle, 3 and 4. You are still worldly. Application. For there, this is how we know you're still worldly. There's jealousy and quarreling among you. Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For one says, this is the division, right? I, I follow Paul. And another one says, I follow Apollos. And you are not, me, are you not mere human beings. Uh, so we have the principle, and I want to spend just a moment on the application of the principle for them in the Church of Corinth, and you're like going, I wonder what the divisions were. That's what the Bible is for. You have it. If you have internet access, you have the Bible. I would encourage you, after today, read the book of Corinthians. You can start to see what those divisions are, and you can start to see it gets nasty really, really quickly. But what I also hope that you see is the application to today, and going, if you find, like, pockets of followers of Jesus, pockets of Christians, and they want nothing more than just to yell at each other and to if winning the argument is more important to them than praising and honoring Jesus or, or finding truth, if they just want to hurt each other, the word that Paul uses to describe this principle is, oh, no, no, no. you're just an, you're an infant in the faith and you're not ready for the difficult truths yet. You need to master this sort of thing first and then grow up and grow on from there. That's application. What I'd like to do is to learn the principle so that we can find, find some new applications here. I think the principle is one that we get. If you've ever been around children and babies, you start them off on formula. You move them onto milk before solid food. They don't have any, have any teeth at all. In theological language, we might call this a progressive revelation. We, we, we might say, okay, you're going to, as a parent, you're going to instruct your child about the way of the world in proportion to their capacity to receive it. And what Paul is saying right now, you've demonstrated that your capacity to receive this thing is so incredibly low. You're still on milk. You're not ready you're not ready for solid food yet. I do this. I've done this with my kids. In preparation for today, I, um, 
I remembered a little prayer that I said with my, pray, with my kids. I think pretty much every day since they were born, you guys, every night we do this prayer every day, you know, we, we pray something to the, that, that ended with, and Jesus, thank you for dying so we could live with you forever. Thank you for dying so we could live. In my personal, and because I'm a pastor, I guess in my professional opinion, that's a pretty good summary of the gospel. Jesus died so that I could live. It's also milk, isn't it? Because if that was the faith that my kids took with them on into adulthood, they're going to start to realize that, that can't be the whole story. If that's the whole story, I mean, I've got some adult-based questions that are never going to get answered, right? And, and that's kind of what we do to our faith all the time. When we hear these, we hear these testimonials, we hear, we hear these conversion stories, and we're gonna, about to hear some more conversion stories. And it's beautiful, guys. It's people who are listening to the leading of the Spirit and are going like, I am in, God. Just tell me what my next step is. And we're going to hear these stories, and it's an awesome thing, and I love them. But on the flip side of that, every once in a while, you're also going to hear a deconversion story. And in preparation for today, I've read a few deconversion stories and they all kind of follow along the same lines, right? They all kind of follow the lines of, of, of the thing that I mentioned earlier. I started asking my adult-based questions to my childhood faith, and it just didn't hold up. The problem, the problem, is what they were deconverting from, I don't think, was this story. Because they got a version of Christianity, maybe a starting point, and it just didn't last. It didn't, it didn't help them answer the questions into adulthood. When I tell my kids as a seven-year-old, Jesus died so that you could live, it's a pretty good summary of the gospel. When they start asking questions at 17, 27, 57, and they've seen some things, they're going to start going, I think it's got to be more than that. How does that even work, Dad? And it's my job to step in and, and explain, okay, this is how it works. This is how it works because you know what? God is a holy God. This is solid food stuff right now. He's a holy God and he demands to be honored as such as a holy God because if you dishonor a holy being, the world isn't just anymore and he's a just God. He's a holy God. So we gotta, we gotta do something with that. In addition, we walk around as like sinful people all the time. It's not just what we do. It's the air that we breathe. We just make it worse all the time. Some of you are familiar with debt and it's like you're digging a hole further and further into debt all the time. And you can't just wipe it out. Somebody has to pay for it. But because God is holy and just, he doesn't just put it on us and say, you have to pay for it. And you're all, because sin cuts through every single human heart everywhere, I'm going to end this entire operation and start over. No, because in addition to being holy and just, solid food stuff here, he's also loving and he's also gracious. And he doesn't demand that on us. He goes, okay, I'm still holy, I'm still just, I am loving, I am gracious, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to step in and I am going to take the weight of that sin. I am going to take that pollution. I am going to put that sin that cuts through every single human heart on my shoulders and I will go through the cross into the grave. And I'm going to take the sin and I'm going to leave it down there. Because after three days, I'm going to rise up from the grave the sin stays there, and there's this new creation. And if you believe in me, you can have that too. Solid food kind of stuff. Not appropriate for a seven-year-old. Maybe not yet. We're getting there, right? And some of us, in the next few minutes, we're going to run through some things. Some of us are going to realize we've been holding on to a childhood faith. And the reason why it hasn't been able to answer our adult-based questions is because it never was meant to do so. So real quick, just kind of running through a list here. 
And I'm just going to ask you to consider whether or not your faith is, one, is, is going to fall in one of these categories. And by the way, you could add so many onto this, but we're just going to do a couple here this morning. The first one is I'm hanging on to a bodyguard God. I'm hanging on to a God whose only job is to simply keep me safe at all costs. I'm hanging on to a bodyguard God. And after all, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of easy to to buy into at times because what we do with our kids and what we do with each other is we sit down and we pray for safety a lot. I've been praying for safety for my kids for 13 years running now. I'll be honest about that. I've been praying safety for a little girl around the world that we sponsor through one of those Compassion International deals, right? To keep Jesus, keep her safe. I've been praying for safety. And so it's not hard, and you can kind of see the jump that we get there. It's not hard to start to think that God is only limited to a bodyguard kind of God. And it's like, well, maybe that's an element of who he is, and what he often does, and what he asks for us to pray for. But it's not the whole story. It's not the picture. It, it's a childhood view of who God is. And maybe, it's time, and maybe it's time to leave that God behind, because pretty soon the kids grow up, and you're going to have to sit them down, and you're going to have to explain the bodyguard God doesn't actually exist. Because if you can believe it, this whole faith was built on the very worst possible thing to happen to the best possible person in history. And Christianity would have never made it out of the first century if it held as a central core that God is a bodyguard, God is a protector who's going to keep us safe at all costs because you look at the very best followers of Jesus in that first century, all those disciples, the apostles, and we see how their lives ended and it wasn't pretty. Google it. You can see what I'm talking about. He's not a bodyguard God. If you have this picture of a bodyguard God and that's all he is, listen, you have my permission and blessing. Walk away from that God. Unsubscribe to that God and find a new one. The next one that we're going to ask some adult-based questions on to a childhood God of the on-demand God. The on-demand God is the God who says, if I ask for it, I mean, I think he's at least as gracious as I am, and so he's probably going to listen, and he's probably going to give me at least some of what I'm asking for. He's on to me. He's like this little lamp that I can rub, and then the genie comes out, and I can add, maybe he doesn't give me three wishes. Maybe I'm going to ask for three, and he's going to answer at least one, right? Because he's at least as gracious. He's going to do something for me, and I'm not asking for big things. I'm not asking like to fix everything wrong with the world. All I'm doing is like, you know, can I get a date this weekend? Like, that's it. Like, it's tiny. It's little stuff. Like, God, you got this. This isn't big. Maybe it's not even for me. I'm asking for my kid, you know, and, and, I, and I'm just asking. It's so selfless. I just want him to get a date so he can find a lady and they can fall in love and I can get grandbabies out of this whole deal. I'm like, come on, God. Don't you want that too? Aren't you like this on-demand God? And you start asking that childhood God some adult-based questions and you find out pretty quickly he doesn't answer those prayers and it does not add up. And it's a God that's worth it's worth walking away from. I just I kind of want to ask, like, who, who gave you the picture? Who taught you that God was an on-demand God? You could just ask him anything, and he'll give you whatever he wants. Because when you pick up this story, and you can start to see that the analogies that are start to use is God saying, man, my ways are so much higher and so much different than your ways. It's like the gap between heaven and earth. That's how different we are. It's like the gap between east and west. That's how far our perspectives are apart. And yes, God says, mine are better. And so you're going to ask for some things, and I'm not going to give them to you. In fact, I'm not going to say anything in response to that at all. And also, P.S., you're welcome. Because some of you have been around on this earth long enough to look back on some of those prayers that you prayed as a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old and going, man, am I glad that Jesus didn't give me that one. 
my life would be a mess if he said yes to that right now. He's not an on-demand God. It's worth walking away from a God like that. The next one, and this is, we're just going to have a little fun with this, because we can, we can have fun. We can have fun in church. The next God, it's worth probably walking away from. We're going to call the boyfriend God, or the, or the girlfriend God, you know, whatever, that, whatever you're looking for. The boyfriend God, the girlfriend God, is the God who just is close. I, I want him to be near me. And I want him to kind of rub my shoulder and, t- and to tell me that everything is going to be okay. I want to experience his nearness. Uh, the boyfriend God or the girlfriend God is a little bit like a snuggie that you like kind of snuggle into on a winter night at the end of a long day. And you're like, going, it just feels right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable here. And then in adulthood, something will happen and you ask a question and God doesn't seem close. God doesn't seem near. In the back of your mind, you're going, wait a second, wait a second. I thought God was supposed to be near to me, especially now. What's the deal? And I'm asking these adult-based questions to my childhood God, and it doesn't add up. It doesn't hold water. And it's worth walking away from a God like that, especially, especially because he never, he never promised you that he would felt near all the time. And the reason for that, I think, I, I think starts to make a lot of sense. Let me just, let me just ask you a question. Um, some of the things that you and I most depend on in life, we have almost no awareness of. Because we just, we just take it for granted. Fun little case. We're in a crowded room. You are too. When was the last time you turned to the person next to you and you said, you know, it is just the perfect temperature in here? <laughs> when was the last time you turned to somebody and said, I wouldn't change a thing. I just love it. Right? We don't do that, right? And we don't do that exactly because when something is just working so perfectly well, we just take it for granted. We don't even highlight it. It's all, when was the last time you turned to someone and be like, I cannot tell you how very grateful I am for the perfect amount of gravitational law that is built into this universe. Because if it was a little less, we'd go flying off this planet. If it was a little more, we'd get smushed by it. Or I can't tell you how much I love you know, being in orbit around this nuclear fire at the center of our solar system that could obviously burn us up if we were just a little bit closer and, and freeze us to death if we were a little bit further away. And I'm so grateful for that. But now we go outside, we feel the warmth, and it's like, ah, on with my day. <laughs> right? You know, and then you read, the, you read the memoirs. Some of you know Mother Teresa. Google her if you don't. But Mother Teresa is a, a literal, in the Catholic tradition, a saint of a woman who gave her life over in service to others in one of the poorest places on the planet. Came into this world with nothing, left with almost nothing. And she has long memoirs where she writes about how she just could not experience God firsthand anymore. Where was he? C.S. Lewis talks about how he asks his God, where are you? And he, he gets in response to the sound of locking and double locking from the door on the inside. God shut him out. Where are you? And it's like, I don't know. He's all around. And we just take him for granted. If you're walking away from the boyfriend God, that's okay. Because that God doesn't actually exist. And the, la- the last one, and, and probably the one that, that most of us kind of use as that, as that argument maybe or as that the logic of why we have to walk away is because of the anti-science God because the anti-science God posits before us a very difficult question a, a dichotomy that we have to choose we have to choose between an undeniable scientific truth 
or an unreliable religion like Christianity. And so which, which one are you going to choose? Undeniable science or unreliable faith? And eventually we live long enough and we're like, well, I, I guess I, guess I got to pick science over, over religion because, because what I'm being told over and over and over again is that I have to turn my brain off at the door and no longer think. I just have to believe and that's it. And if you've been taught an anti-science God, like it's worth walking away from him because that God is a childhood God that never grew up with you and he does not exist. If you want a little evidence of that, you can go ahead and just find out how if that were true, how hypocritical Christians would actually be if we believed in an anti-science anti God because, because we, depend, we depend on it all the time, right? And you know because you probably had a loved one or you yourself, you got sick, you went to the doctor and you got some blood test taken, some blood drawn, and they send it out to the labs, like wherever that is. I don't know how it works. It's magic to me. But they send it out to the labs, right? And you're waiting for the results. You get everybody to pray, obviously. Pray for, pray, pray for good results, Pray for a clear path forward. We get everybody to pray, and we stay close to our phone at all times. And when, we, when the call finally does come in, we answer the phone, and we say, Mr. You know, Mr. So-and-so, we've got your results in. And you're like, yes, yes. And we, we've got your results in, and, uh, and it turns out what you're experiencing is God trying to teach you something. Nobody ever hears that. Nobody ever expects that. We don't look for that. We'd be so disappointed if that person on the other end of the line from the lab is like, this is what God is up to. He's going to try to, you're like, no, that's not why I went to you. I went to you because my faith demands some answers, and I think the scientific community might have something for me there. What's the result, and what's the clear path forward? We look back in history, and we can tell that, you guys, it was really the Western, it was really Christianity and religion in general that allowed for the scientific community to does what it does. Genesis chapter 1, it's like, it's right there, you guys. It's six days, God creates all of it. And what do you, what do, you do on the seventh day? Say it out loud. On the seventh day, he rested, right? Which means that if God was resting, he built the world in such a way that the planet stayed in orbit and gravity did its thing and chemistry and biology did its thing and that all of it could just kind of continue on while God rested and while God watched. It doesn't mean that he didn't break in every once in a while. I'm not saying that. But, but he rested and so the world could keep going. And so what, what Christians did so long ago is to say, listen, I, I think that this whole thing could be depended on and counted on. I think this whole thing could be studied and learned. And actually when we study the creation, it actually tells us something and honors us and honors the creator above it all. I think it actually doesn't threaten him at all. I think it honors him, and that's why we do science in general. And so listen, like where, where do we get these ideas from that they're that they're at odds? And if they are, listen, one, one last time. It's worth walking away from a God like that. And after today, you can go home, you can talk to the person in your car, and you can talk about some of the other lower G gods worth walking away from because they do not exist and how your version of God did or did not grow up with you. And here's the hard part. This is, this is solid food type stuff. Solid food type stuff is uh, another letter that Paul wrote, this time to the Roman church. In Romans 5, 8, and he says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Salad food kind of stuff. 
is that Jesus is not, uh, is not an on-demand God or an anti-science God. That we didn't gather here to celebrate a, a boyfriend God or a bodyguard God. He's a savior. And the solid food kind of stuff is that saviors do what saviors do. They save people who need rescuing. And so the question before us today is, do I, do I need to be rescued? For, for them, it was like rescuing for what? You know, I, I don't know. You're quarreling. You're needing to be right all the time. For us today, it's wherever sin has got a hold of your heart, wherever it specifically cuts through your heart for you. And listen, it's, it's in the air we breathe, so, so we can't get away from it. What do you specifically need to be rescued from? In a few moments, we're going to end our time together. And if you're feeling that like conviction of like, yes, I've been putting up with a, with a bodyguard God or a boyfriend God, an on-demand or anti-science or whatever other kind of lower G God there is for far too long. And what I need is none of that. What I need is a rescuer. Listen, this day is your day to show the world you've been raised with Christ. This is so incredibly important. I'm going to ask everybody in the room to stand up where you are. Fulton Heights, we're inviting you to stand up. If you're watching this online, I think it's a show of solidarity in one church gathering in a huge number of locations to stand up where you are as well. As we enter this time together, and it's really simple. It's really simple. It's, it's profound and solid food and what it entails, what it means, the fallout from it. But the simplicity of it is really just three words. It's really, it's really just Sorry. I'm sorry for the ways that I've contributed to the pollution in this world and as a result, every wrong, sad, unholy thing in this world is the result of people like me contributing into it. I'm sorry. Thanks. Thank you for providing a way out. Thank you for providing a savior. Thank you for Jesus who is both fully God and fully human who could step into our shoes but not live a life of pollution like we added to it. No, but because of his divinity and because of his holiness, he could actually take all of that crud on and leave it in the bottom of the grave. Thank you. Sorry, thank you. Spirit, help. Help me. Help me to live a life worthy of the story that you gave us. Worthy of the Spirit's presence in my life. Worthy of being called Jesus one of yours, Christ, a Christian. Sorry. Thanks. Help. It's simple, but it's very not easy. Let's pray together. Jesus, we, uh, we come to you, Lord, and some of us are maybe sensing that, that tug right now, that, that, that push, that this day is our day to show the world that we belong to you. And church, I want to remind you, if that's you and if you've resonated with that, sorry, thanks, help, prayer, this is your opportunity to head to that table in the back. It's all right. If you need clothes, we've got you covered. If you need a ride home, we'll find it. If you want somebody to be here, we'll take pictures and we'll make sure they get them because they're going to celebrate with you. It's a beautiful story and you get to be a part of it. Spirit, I thank you for what you're doing today in the lives of so many. I thank you, especially right now, for what you're doing in the life of Jaden and showing the world she's been raised with you. In your name we pray. Amen.
Uh, church, I want to I read you a little story, and it's, and it's so beautiful. Um, I'm going to ask you to keep on standing for a little while. It's worth it. It's worth it. Um, here at Kenwood, you guys might not recognize uh, Jaden because she's normally with, uh, with our church community worshiping at Fulton Heights. She wanted to be here at Kentwood because this is the this is the broadcast site and she's got family all over the globe and she's like when I show the world I've been raised with Jesus I want to show the world I've been raised with Jesus and it's it's so cool and it's so powerful uh, this is a little bit of Jaden's story and she said uh, my faith really became known really became my own when I was about 16 years old and driving myself to church and youth group I found support there from the church where I felt loved and I found hope I was encouraged to keep on growing through hard times and not give up on myself. God's love for me is greater than I could ever love myself. And this helps me to learn to love myself the way that he loves me. Let's just praise God for a story like that, a testimony. Jaden, I would love, I'd love church for you to meet Jaden. Come on up onto the stage here and uh, have you slip off your shoes there. You guys, I'm going to ask you to, like, at Kenwood here to, to have a seat down, mostly because we want to all be able to see. And I know some of us are, are taller than some others, but Jaden, come on up, and I'm going to have you face over that direction there, and you can have a seat in the tank here. Support, Reagan, come on up here, buddy. There we go. And you can have, have a seat there. There you go. Um, I'm going to ask Jaden the most important question of her life here in just a moment, but just a note of what's happening here. Uh, we believe that God is changing eternities, and it's so special and so powerful. So when Jaden comes up, we're going to welcome her to not only this church, but this family with a robust welcome. Uh, Fulton Heights, you're going to see her next week. I believe you're leading on stage. So next week, you're going to see it. Fulton Heights, I want to be able to hear you in Kentwood and your applause and cheering. Okay, that's, that's on all of us. So, Jaden, the most important question of your life, do you believe that Jesus died so that you could live forever with him? What's your answer? Amen. I invite you to plug your nose. Jaden, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.